Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The following podcast contains explicit language. We have to start by building a wall. I'm not going to pay for that wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. I mean, everything's negotiable. It's not negotiable about building it. I actually said, no, building it, not negotiable. If they ever get up there, they're in trouble. Because there's no way to get down. Maybe a rope. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who admitted under oath that he lied 30 times about how rich he was. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So I thought Donald Trump was going to take a breather this week. Instead, he took everyone else's breath away with a tossed-off comment at a rally in North Carolina that suggested that assassinating Hillary Clinton might be the only way to stop her from appointing justices to the Supreme Court and abolishing the Second Amendment. Oh, and by the way, Donald, presidents don't get to abolish parts of the Constitution, just in case that ever comes up. Trump's words were a little ambiguous, but shooting his opponent was pretty clearly what he meant and what the people at the rally understood. If you watch the video, there's a guy in a red shirt sitting right in back of him whose jaw just falls open when Trump makes his suggestion about Second Amendment people. He's shocked by the comment. Here to talk about Trump's latest maybe his greatest outrage, is Alex Wagner. You may know her from a previous work on MSNBC or from the podcast, Podcast for America, which she co-hosted with Monday's guest, Annie Lowry, and a previous guest, Mark Leibovich. She's now a writer and editor for The Atlantic. I'll be back with her right after we do the tweets. Media desperate to distract from Clinton's anti-2A stance. I said pro-2A citizens must organize and get out the vote to save our Constitution. Many people are saying that the Iranians killed the scientist who helped the U.S. because of Hillary Clinton's hacked emails. When is the media going to talk about Hillary's policies that have gotten people killed like Libya, open borders, and maybe her emails. I am running against the Washington insiders, just like I did in the Republican primaries. These are the people that have made U.S. a mess. Michael Morell, the lightweight former acting director of the CIA and a man who's made serious bad calls is a total Clinton flunky. I see where Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake of Baltimore is pushing crooked hard. Look at the job she's done in Baltimore. She is a joke. Joining me on the line is Alex Wagner. Alex, welcome to the show. It's great to talk to you. 
Jacob Weisberg, it is an honor and a pleasure to be on the show. You know, I used to go on your show, and I always wanted to have a show that I could have you on as my guest. <laughs> Finally, the tables are turned. It's what America has been asking for for decades. I'm very glad it's happening. Well, notably, there is no camera. That was the necessary condition. Well, that was in my rider. <laughs> so I got to ask you, oh, this is a funny question. Were you shocked by what Trump said yesterday? <laughs> It's hard to shock people this election season, I think. I mean, I, I guess I, I maybe maybe shocked is not the word. I feel like this has been one long, continuous flabbergast. Like, it's just each time you think you've reached the ceiling of sort of like unprecedented, historic commentary, <laughs> to put it euphemistically, Trump will surprise you. And um, I think basically threatening the life of a fellow candidate you know, it's a new frontier in campaigning and American politics, that's for sure. Just to be fair and give the devil his due, do you think there's any way that Trump meant what he says he meant, which was he was just encouraging Second Amendment people to go out and vote as opposed to making a kind of veiled reference to shooting Hillary Clinton or her Supreme Court justices? I've watched I've watched the tape a couple times. And, you know, each time I think that this is the case with a lot of journalists, there's a sort of second, because what he says is so unprecedented, there is an inclination to sort of like go to the videotape and, and sort of give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, okay, well, maybe we just don't understand what's going on in his head because surely no one would actually threaten the life of an American presidential candidate. First of all, I do think he was joking as inappropriate. I mean, I, I, do, I mean, that there's been a lot of talk about whether the Secret Service should investigate him. And so, I mean, I think that I, I do think he was joking. I think it was an aside, but I think it was nonetheless, I mean, this is not something you do. <laughs> and I don't think that it's something that should be easily brushed away either, you know? I mean, I think that it needs to be taken in, in, in the context of the other things he said, and, and I think that it raises serious questions about, like, what kind of person he would be as commander-in-chief and sort of his ability to curb his instincts to say things like this. I don't. I didn't think it was perhaps as menacing as some people have made it out to be, but the explanation we're getting today is not the I, – I don't think that that's what it was rooted in when he initially said it. Right. He wasn't literally proposing that someone do this, but he really was joking about someone who did and, – and, you know, people sometimes take jokes pretty seriously or they misinterpret things. I mean Tom Friedman I thought had a great column today which was basically about the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin in Israel. And he said, you know, there was a kind of climate where – People on the far right in Israel were demonizing this guy, and nobody said go shoot him, but someone who's a little unhinged hears this, and that's what they do. Well, and I mean, you can look at Israel. You can look at what's happening in the United States. You have uh, snipers shooting cops in Texas. You have people shooting up clubs in Orlando. I mean, and, and these are not particularly, you know, people that are part of extensive networks and have gotten great training and are, you know— they they haven't been indoctrinated formally. It's the sort of suggestion of radicalism. It's mental instability. It's access to weaponry. I mean, all of these things. And, and then you have someone on a very public stage suggesting something totally out of the ordinary, illegal, and unprecedented. And, you know, I feel like what's happening right now in the States is the particularly the, the weather, the weather front is very, very stormy. And to add sort of a lightning bolt like this to the conversation, I don't think helps anything. I mean, this idea that the people on the other side are not just opponents, but criminals 
is not something that Trump is 100 percent responsible for. You mentioned yourself that some people were saying, oh, the Secret Service should investigate Trump for this. I mean, what are they going to investigate? You know, ask him if he was kidding. I mean, you can't he didn't commit a crime and it shouldn't be a crime. No, but I think, you know, I think and this is the sort of the context of Trump's campaign and the language directed against Clinton it's pretty vi- like singularly violent, you know, and I, and I go back, I mean, I was in Cleveland for the Republican National Convention and the chance of lock her up and the, the, you know, the merchandise. And I did a video for the Atlantic on this. The merchandise that's being sold is like very pointed. It's very violent. It's all about using the word Trump as kind of a verb, like Trump that. And I can't I can't use the, the word that on this family program. You can't you can on this show. Well, basically, there you know there there are bumper stickers that say Trump that bitch, you know, and lock her up, and it's a sharpness and a vitriol that I think is is fairly uncommon, you know, and I think there are a lot of people that really don't like the the track record of the Clintons and don't like Hillary Clinton, but the the amount of kind of like hatred that's being directed her way seems fairly new. And that's why I think it really disturbs people that you would have even the joking suggestion of assassination. Is it actually new? It's funny. uh, After I saw Hamilton, I was reading back some of the sort of literature about that period in politics. And boy, Hamilton and Jefferson. I mean, I guess they weren't. Well, another politician actually did kill Hamilton. But (laughs) but but the level of vitriol and accusing people of the vilest things in the vilest terms in in the press was going pretty strong at the founding of the republic of a period we think of as, you know, the the heyday of American democracy. Well, yeah, I mean, that's an that's totally an interesting proposition. Like, are we just returning to the old spirited debates and duels of yesteryear? I mean, I don't know. I think we like to think of an evolution in American politics that we may start out in sort of fractious rebellion, but that, you know, as our president is wont to say, the moral arc of the universe is long but bends towards justice and that we are sort of more of a peaceable union of states in our 250th year than we were at our inception, right? And is it a good thing or a bad thing that we are returning perhaps to the to the sort of violent culture of our our founding, I don't know. I mean, maybe we've just got maybe we've gotten too soft, Jake. <laughs> maybe we should be maybe we should be uh, less surprised. But I still find it all pretty shocking. No, and I think you were making an important point where you're talking about the convention, the Republican convention. There is an air of menace and of physical violence around Trump's rallies and Trump's events, and of course, people do get punched and and hit and dragged out, and you know there there is a kind of level of violence that is normalized to those events, which I've never seen before at political events in my lifetime. Yeah, and I think it's also this the other, you know, to go back to your other point about, you know, the days of Hamilton, this violence and this rhetoric is born of a sense of frustration and impotence that the government is broken, that the institutions are totally corrupt, that these people don't have a place at the table, that they have been repressed or shut out of the system. And I think that's different than the sort of, you know, two centuries ago when there was kind of great debate about what the government should look like and how it should function, but not a wholesale rejection of it. You know what I mean? And maybe that lends the sort of like the more menacing sort of hue to everything that's going on right now, because it, it seems in, certain, in a certain way almost nihilistic. But let's not indulge these people too much, right? I mean, they're not denied a democratic voice. Isn't, this isn't an, an autocratic society where they're, they're pushing to be heard or have a vote. This is a democratic society in which they're supporting someone who is less democratic. 
who is an autocrat right. who doesn't right. like all that democracy. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking back to the piece that Jim Rutenberg wrote for The New York Times about how Donald Trump tests the sort of boundaries of objective journalism. And I think, to you know, Dan Rather has taken uh, in the last 24 hours to Facebook to basically excoriate Trump for his comments on the Second Amendment and, and his direction of violence towards Hillary Clinton. And I think there are a lot of journalists that feel like this time is different. Something needs to be said. Brian Stelter on CNN was saying that it is the sort of moral responsibility of journalists to disprove Trump's contention that the system is rigged. To your point, Jacob, that democratic system still exists, and one person casts one vote, and we have democratically transparently elected leaders. And I know there are a lot of people who would argue that money in politics has totally bastardized that system, but this sort of democratic system of government governance is still in place. And Donald Trump, in many ways, represents a repudiation of that on a certain level. I was going to say, if he's lost Dan Rather, then he's lost Dan Rather. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not well, it's quite Walter Cronkite. But where is where are the mainstream Republicans? I mean, I keep thinking this has got to be the last straw. Yeah. Paul Ryan can't support this. John McCain's got to at least come out and say, I'm not voting for this guy. He's crazy. He's he's a menace. But they still don't. I mean, they're basically there is no last straw. There is no straw that will break this camel's back when it comes to the Republican Party support for Trump, right? I feel I feel like this is me speaking incredibly cynically. That straw is actually not going to take the form of a comment from Trump, but will be national polling in September and October. At a certain point when the numbers say standing by Trump is actually going to hurt down ballot Republicans, and that will be the thing that pushes Ryan to disavow Trump. Not anything he says but sort of political survival. And right now, you know, it's like watching, it's like we've been watching this seesaw for a long time, months now. Like, what's the thing that tips them to the other side? I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's just numbers at this point. You know, I think Ryan's making the calculation of like, you know, at what point, you know, does this alienate the voters that we think will keep us in the majority? I mean, I, I'm not sure that Democrats are going to take back the House, but certainly on the Senate side, you know, I think Mitch McConnell actually is the one to really watch because Ryan's going to be comfortably, maybe not comfortably, but going to have a majority past November, whereas McConnell is in a real danger zone. And what do you think the number is? I mean, just top of your head, what's the level at which Trump is, his level in the polls at which he is doing more harm than good to the Republicans? Well, so I think the numbers right now are appropriately bad for Republicans, but they haven't been bad long enough. So like if he's still nine points behind in Pennsylvania and double digits in other swing states late September, that's when I think you're going to start to see movement. I, I also just think that this is sort of like, you know, I think the Clinton campaign has been working furiously behind the scenes to secure some high profile mainstream Republican endorsements that my guess is they'll roll out in the fall. I mean, what's crazy, Jacob, and you know this, like August is not, it's not usually a huge newsmaking month. The general really picks up steam in the fall, but we've had no break in part because Trump is so totally unpredictable. But I think that if you see numbers like you're seeing today in a month, that's when you see real, like you see a real jumping from the ship. Yeah, I assume they're saving Colin Powell for after the World exactly. Series. But well, I, you know, <laughs> Colin Powell would seem to be an obvious one that they're saving. I wonder if there's any convincing of Kasich or even Bush. But this this stretches the bounds of sort of party allegiance and moral 
sort of resignation to force mainstream Republicans to endorse a Clinton. One can only imagine that if someone, if anyone else was running on the Democratic side, you would have had more defections a lot earlier. But yeah, it's, it's hard Hillary to do. Clinton, it's hard to do, isn't it? I mean, Susan Collins, you know, came out with a very strong piece in The Washington Post saying she wasn't voting for Trump. But she wouldn't say she was voting for Hillary Clinton. The reality is one of them is going to be president. If you don't right. want Trump to be president, the logical thing to do is to vote for Hillary Clinton. It doesn't really – it's just some weird symbolism to say, oh, I'm not going to vote or I'm going to vote for a third-party candidate. But most of them, they even if they can go as far as unendorsing him, they can't endorse her. Well, and I think that's probably going to be what we see is I can't abide by this man. That doesn't mean I'm voting for Hillary Clinton, even though not voting for that man effectively gives Hillary Clinton an advantage. Alex Wagner is a writer and editor for The Atlantic. Alex, thanks for being on the show. It's great talking to you. Great talking to you too, Jacob. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon, a strong advocate of the 21st Amendment. You know that one, right? I'll give you a hint. It reversed the 18th Amendment. We toast to it on Beer Fridays at the Slate office. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. He's way into the 11th Amendment. He's always like sovereign immunity this, sovereign immunity that. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. He rereads the 9th Amendment before bedtime. He loves those unenumerated rights. John D. Domenico, our voice of Donald Trump, lives and dies by the First Amendment. And please keep those reviews and comments coming on iTunes. I read through all the new ones yesterday, and boy, did that make my day. Thanks to everybody for the kind words about the show. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to TrumpCast. The dishonest media should stop reporting things I said if they're not going to cover it accurately. Check the videotape, people. I didn't say what they think I said. I didn't say that. I know what I said. It wasn't that.